Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah. Anything to support local food. Know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Origins, a speaker series about food, its source, and how we eat. Available on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes and reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Today is episode number 44 of Feast Your Ears and the last show of this season. Uh, I am really proud that I've made it this far, and hopefully uh, those of you listening out there still enjoy the show after 44 episodes of hearing <laughs> me do this. Uh, and uh, we'll be taking a much-needed break here at Heritage and uh, be back with new episodes starting September 14th. Uh, today, I'm really pleased to be joined in the studio by Ann Yang and Phil Wong, who are partners behind Misfit Juicery. Thanks, guys, for coming in. Thanks Thank for you for us, having Harry. us. Um, so just a little bit of a little bit of background. I'll let you guys explain a little bit about what Misfit Juicery is. But as uh, as of those of you listening uh, might imagine from the name, uh, Misfit is uh, a line of juices. Um, I won't say a juice company because I know you guys don't <laughs> call it a juice company. Um, but uh, in front of me here, I have the five main flavors. So if you're out there looking for them, uh, available very soon, starting tomorrow, I think, at the Brooklyn Kitchen, we'll get our first delivery. Um, our flavors pair to the people. Uh, Scream, which is an acronym for something. What is it? Yeah, it's a uh, throwback to the Wu-Tang Clan. So <laughs> strawberries and cash rule everything around me. Nice. Uh, offbeat, B-E-E-T. Uh, 24 karat gold, which does it have gold in it? Is it like a gold flogger <laughs> reference? If only. If only we could find misfit gold. <laughs> um, and yeah, right. And far from the tree is the, is the fifth one. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, about misfit uh, as, a, as a company, uh, since it's not a juice company. Phil, kick it off. Yeah, so so we're making our juice using what we call misfit fruits and veggies. So things that are obviously perfectly delicious, but are the wrong size or shape or color um, to sell to retailers. And so we're juicing them to fight food waste. And uh, are you? Do you track how much how much food you keep out of the waste stream? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, it's been 
So, so we actually don't use 100% misfits. We supplement. Um, so on any given week, we aim for about 70 to 80% of misfits and then supplement the rest with firsts. Obviously, with things like ginger or turmeric, it's hard to really find misfits of those. Sure. So. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's great. I, I first came across uh, Misfit Juicery because I'm, uh, I know Danielle Vogel, who owns Glenn's Garden Market in D.C. She has two stores, and I know she was a very big supporter of you guys right in the beginning. Um, can you talk a little bit about how Misfit came about? Um, you guys met at Georgetown, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we started the company as full-time undergrads at Georgetown and just became super interested in food issues. And shout out to Danielle Vogel because we love her and Glen Garner Market is an amazing project and we're really lucky to have her support and mentorship. Uh, but it started out discovering the food waste that was occurring pre-retail levels and we found out that 20 billion pounds of fruits and vegetables go unharvested and sold every year. It was just a ridiculous figure. Um, And we just felt like we could do something really compelling with a really powerful brand that educates consumers about food waste and um, sort of subverts looks and value in food. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot. I feel like there's a a lot more information um, available to people now about that. Mm -hmm. But even still, you know, I mean, I talked with a friend the other day who lives in Pennsylvania, who works with a farmer there. We sometimes get some stuff from him. They don't distribute directly to New York. But if he comes into the city, he'll bring us a carload of stuff from the Mm -hmm. farm, you know, and they plowed under 1600 pounds of stuff a couple weeks ago because they couldn't sell it and they couldn't get it to market fast enough. Mm -hmm. And so to think about that amount of effort, I mean, there are very few other industries that I can think of where you put in all this effort, you know, it would be akin to you know, I don't know, running an automobile production line and then grinding up, you know, <laughs> half the cars that you produced. <laughs> yeah, seriously, when you put in those terms, it, it, it definitely helps to drive home the point. I think it's like a little abstract for people in a lot of ways, sure. you know, because it's like food is, it's, we see it on our plate, but a lot of people don't have a connection to their food beyond that. Um, so I think a big part of Misfit is really trying to sort of bridge that, that divide between, you know, what it is we consume and, and how it's made. And I know, you know, and, and then, you know, you, you talk about where, where that divide comes in and, and sure, you know, you see it at the supermarket and I mean, Mm. you know, the supermarket's goal is to make the food look good, right. To have a beautiful pyramid tower of perfect (laughs) oranges. And that looks great, right. It does. I mean, there's, there's something nice about that uniformity, um, from an aesthetic standpoint. Um, I do, you know, I noticed that, uh, the new whole foods, uh, whole foods now is doing like a, you know, a cheap, ugly produce sort of thing, um, where that produce is cheaper. I find that to be very interesting from a, from a sort of retail perspective, because from a, nutritional standpoint the ugly beat is the same as the pretty beat right Mm -hmm. so are we are placing a huge amount of value on the visual and on the aesthetic of that uh of that vegetable and of that you know of that thing which is sort of interesting i think when you when you look at that that you know you get the same amount out of an ugly one as a as a good one so and i think that works really well obviously for your business Mm -hmm. model i assume it means you can get the ugly stuff a lot cheaper and then you're getting the same thing out of it right harry you get it (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know you guys also are working with Baldor um, as one of your main partners. Um, and I had Thomas McQuillan from mm-hmm. Baldor on this show a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about it. I know his, you know, if, if you go back, anyone who's listening and you listen to that show, his whole job is keeping things out of the waste stream. Baldor is a huge, huge distributor of foods um, and a lot of fresh foods that they cut to order. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of stuff do you get from them? Yeah, so we get a lot of sort of what they call sparks. So that's scraps spelled backwards. Um and Thomas has been just like a huge champion of that whole program and honestly a big mentor to us just generally. Um, but, you know, they're making watermelon cubes, carrot sticks for grocery stores. And obviously those things aren't growing in cubes or sticks. And so <laughs> right. you're generating a lot of waste from that. 
Um, and so we're taking that and putting it toward juice. And what's the process like for you guys? And you know, where where is your juice manufactured in DC? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's the process like for you to get? that product what are the what are the logistics involved because i have to imagine certainly you know you say you mentioned watermelon and carrot those two things are very different right watermelon way more perishable totally carrots probably stand up better so what is the logistics like for you to get that yeah so i mean balder does all the heavy lifting i mean they're they're huge and we're not so they they kind of go from dc to boston so they've got their sort of cutting operation in new york and it's a pretty simple matter for them to then ship that stuff down the same day to D.C. And likewise, to bring our product back up to New York from D.C. So it's really convenient. Um, we're incredibly lucky to have them as a partner. And uh, certainly a lot of people are, are envious of that. It simplifies a lot of things for us. Yeah. I, I saw in, a, in, a, in another interview that you guys did um, mentioned other places where you think that Misfit uh, as a concept might work. Um, do you have plans for expanding into other markets and sort of setting up a similar regional setup somewhere? Yeah, I think that our vision for Misfit is off the success of Juice. We want to become Misfit Foods, and we want to be a large natural foods brand that represents food waste sourcing. And so uh, right now we're composting our juice pulp with an amazing company called Compost Cab that um, sort of gives our compost to urban farmers in D.C. But we would love to sort of launch a product using that juice pulp waste. Mm-hmm. And then also other line extensions like jams. We don't really, we haven't done the due diligence yet, but definitely want to do other products as well. And yeah, why, why was Juice the first thing and 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 you know so i you know you guys started this company when you were undergraduates mm-hmm. were you friends who were interested in juice like how did, <laughs> how did how did how did the company really get started yeah so we we were really good friends from the start um we met kind of like our sophomore years of college and we're both really interested in the idea in the idea of food waste like as you kind of alluded to value is just like so subjective and i think we just like found a lot of sort of like room to wiggle within that um and I think roughly that's where Misfit was born out of, that idea. Um, but in terms of juice, like, it was actually a big point of contention for us and eventually won me over to the idea. And I think, like, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a great vehicle for the, for the issue. Not only is it delicious, but, like, you, know, you don't know what the apples or carrots that went to the juice looked like, right? And so in that sense, it's kind of an equalizer for these visual biases or cues that tell us to think that, oh, I shouldn't pick up this apple at the grocery store. Instead, let me rummage around for one that, that looks really perfect. And before you started Misfit, um, I mean, what did you guys, what were you guys studying at Georgetown? So I was a culture and politics major in the School of Foreign Service, which I loved. It was amazing. Um, Sort of the summary of it is it's like a critical theory base and then you get to decide your own concentration. So mine was urban social justice issues. And in general, loved going to school at Georgetown. I think that um, the Jesuit education, even though I'm not particularly religious, but um, the emphasis on social justice education really profoundly changed my perspective. Yeah, I was also in the School of Foreign Service. My major was called Science, Technology and International Affairs. Um, the SFS has pretty pretentious major names. <laughs> uh, it was pretty ironic because I, I really didn't like math or science when I was in high school. But I think, um, yeah, it, it was cool to explore just this idea of technology and science interacting with society. But like, like Anne, I think the Jesuit education was something that really profoundly impacted me, even though I was like, not religious whatsoever. And when, so when you were an undergraduate, um, did you do it? I mean, did you consume juice? Like, was that part of your regular diet? I mean, I can't speak for Anne, but my diet was, like, primarily granola and then, like, beer on the weekends. So, like, juice didn't figure too strongly into that. Um, I think, you know, you're at kind of a particular moment when you're in college, so... 
I like love orange juice. We don't have an orange juice, but um, I grew up in Colorado and we were on this like camping trip, but we were kind of right outside of Boulder, like um, proper. And I remember one day we just drove down because all of us were just craving orange juice. So that's my <laughs> juice consumption story. <laughs> and what, <laughs> what about now? How many, uh, how many bottles of Misfit do you consume uh, on a daily basis now? Oh man, it's, it's dizzying, <laughs> honestly. It's like... Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, we drink juice all the time now. Um, I think it's cool to get kind of exposure to different flavors. And I think, you know, in the beginning, we were juicing everything ourselves. And so we have this, like, pretty intimate relationship with the very fruits and veggies that are going into our juice, which I think is super important. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of juice consumption going on. <laughs> but we are um, very squarely anti-cleanse, so we're not a cleanse brand. Um, and we just we want people to eat real food and drink delicious juice. And I think I noticed fun. something about that. Uh, actually, I noticed a piece about you guys on Goop on the uh, yeah. Paltrow site, yeah. which very clearly, like at the very beginning, is like this is not a cleanse, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. I mean, I guess that's the assumption. I, I you know, yeah. I mean, my perception would be that something covered on her site would probably be like cleansy or fatty mm-hmm. or <laughs> yeah. No, Eat real a, food. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a growing realization that you can't subsist on just juice. It's just like it's the most ridiculous trend <laughs> in the entire world. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, I will say that it is delicious, and I definitely, you know, I I think there is there's definitely something, uh, you know, you there's something about having a juice or having a bottle of fresh vegetable and, mm. and fresh fruit, um, you know, that really is, is refreshing. Um, mm-hmm. and it's definitely a lot more healthy than, you know, grabbing a soda or eating a croissant as much as those things are also delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't hit on croissants, but yeah, yeah juice is good. <laughs> um, Growing up, um, so Anne, you're from Boulder. I am, um, and Phil, you grew up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, growing up, what kind of what kind of food? I mean, was was juice? Was health food? Was food waste something that was talked about or ever part of your part of your life? Yeah, I I was such a picky eater when I was a kid that my parents would have to like do somersaults to figure out ways for me not to waste what was on my plate. Um, so that was definitely an ethic kind of instilled in me from the very start, even though I resisted it. Um, but yeah, my dad is, a, is like a really, really awesome cook. So I was spoiled with really great food growing up. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just kind of had this, uh, this sort of moral obligation not, not to waste things from the very start. If you have any ideas of things your parents used on you, my kids, um, my son especially, is like, he'll be like, oh, I want a piece of cheese. And so I'll like, <laughs> you know, give him a piece of cheese and then he'll take like one bite and then like throw it across the room. And I'm just <laughs> like, man, that's so wasteful. And it's not, you know, it's one thing if he doesn't finish what's on his plate. I mean, as a parent, I feel like I'm eating a lot of wasted calories because I'm cleaning mm. up mm. after my children because I don't want their food to be wasted. I sort of wait until <laughs> see what they're going to eat and then I eat what they're, you know, what they didn't and then you know, serve myself. But, you know, with that particular thing, it's just like, it's very, it is very wasteful. And so it's, I'm trying to combat that with him. Yeah. Uh, my parents immigrated from China. So my childhood was like this weird culmination of like celebrating American holidays with a mix of Chinese and American dishes. Uh, so we like for Thanksgiving, we would like have salmon and then also have like turkey and mashed potatoes or, or like Chinese <laughs> cabbage. Like it was an interesting time, but um, my parents really love food and they grew up sort of in the post-cultural revolution era. So my grandma who lived with us for a while was just really big on utilizing all resources all the time. Sure. And so learned a lot from that. 
I was just talking with someone the other day about like why not serve like a whole salmon at Thanksgiving <laughs> instead of a turkey. Yeah. Like you'd end up with the same number of portions, <laughs> exactly. and like it's, you know. And to a certain extent, it might be more you know it, it's like almost more sustainable and like mm-hmm. almost more seasonal, really. Yeah. To like if you get a whole sockeye that you know <laughs> from the right time. Um, well, we're gonna take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors. Um, and uh, when we come back, I want to hear about uh, a little bit more about like how you develop your flavors. Awesome. Cool. And this one is called Torchlight by Rectech. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Origins, a speaker series. Origins aims to elevate the conversation about food, its origins, and what we are doing with food and food systems on this planet. The focus for this series is the food of the Mid-Atlantic region, centered around Maryland and the Chesapeake Bay watershed. The series is held within the intimate confines of Artifact Coffee, one of the restaurants owned by Spike and Amy Jardy and their partner Corey Poloka. Spike Jardy recently received the 2015 James Beard Foundation Award for Best Chef Mid-Atlantic, becoming the first chef from Baltimore to ever win an award from the foundation. Artifact is located at 1500 Union Avenue in Baltimore. Their restaurants also include Woodbury Kitchen and Parts and Labor, all of which are deeply and unwaveringly committed to the relationships they have with the growers, watermen, and producers of the Chesapeake region. We are here to create a community dialogue about local and responsible food systems, the economic impact of doing so, and how we grow, fish, cultivate, and work with local ingredients in our day-to-day lives. The panels feature growers and producers from the Chesapeake region. For more information and to listen to the series, visit heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and today in the studio, I'm joined by Misfit Juicery, and we've been talking about their company and how uh, they're using fruit and vegetable scraps, or as Valdor calls it, sparks, mm-hmm. scraps spelled backwards, um, out of the landfill um, and helping us you know, put those, uh, those valuable calories that were raised by a farmer to use instead of just sort of grinding them up and getting rid of them. So at the moment, um, Misfit has five flavors. Um, how do you develop your flavors? Yeah, so I mean, in large part, really start with sourcing. You know, what we're going to have, I mean, the entire premise of the company really is to be uh, preventing these delicious fruits and veggies from going to waste. Right. Um, so, yeah, we think a lot about what we're going to have availability of, um, and then basically go from there to just tinker and, and find the best tasting and most impactful flavors that we can create. I notice you don't have kale as a flavor. I feel like kale kale is very hot. Yes. Um, right now, we sell a lot of it at the Brooklyn Kitchen. There's you know, I lots of other you know, kale sort of appearing all over the place. But I notice you guys don't have that. Is that just something that doesn't appear in sort of the where you're getting your vegetables? So we're actually working on maybe bringing a kale flavor back. Oh. I will say, for a short period of time, we kind of had kale PTSD. When we, <laughs> when we first like started juicing kale, and, and this coincided with us starting the company, we had no idea how to properly handle it, and it was just a pain in the ass. Um, but no, I mean, kale, kale is a great veggie. 
we're working on sourcing some more of it, and hopefully we'll have it back in some bottles soon. And so, I mean, are any of these flavors seasonal? Do you guys do seasonal releases um, based on available? I mean, you mentioned watermelon. I have to imagine, I mean, yes, while watermelons are available Mm year-round, I have to imagine right now is probably the best time to be getting watermelon. Yeah, there definitely is some seasonality to what we're getting. I think there are also some really interesting ways of kind of mitigating seasonality in some way. Because, you know, supply is so bumpy. We have watermelons right now, but what's the way we can figure out to have, you know, all of the watermelons right now, but spread throughout the year? So a good example of that is our strawberry flavor. So we worked with um, this cooperative in Pennsylvania called Lancaster, Mm -hmm. and um, they basically froze a bunch of strawberries that, that were surplus and we've kind of been using it both in season and out of season as a way of sort of commenting on the merits of freezing and, and frankly, just using good produce that, um, yeah, deserves to be in people's bellies instead of landfills. I mean, I, I like that you bring up the, the merits of freezing. I mean, I mm-hmm. think freezing is something that is often overlooked um, as a really great food preservation technology that we all have at our fingertips. I mean, everybody almost has a freezer in their house even. Yeah. And I feel like we don't make enough use of it because especially in the sort of in the, in the, I guess, the, the fresh farm-to-table food world. I feel like frozen is kind of a bad word. Um, but I think it's important that people recognize that it's a, it is a great way so that you can have strawberries. So you're not buying strawberries that are coming out of California or coming out of South America out of season. You're using the same Pennsylvania strawberries year-round just because you can freeze them. Yeah, and frozen fruits and veggies, particularly when they're frozen in season, are highly nutritious. And I think, as you mentioned, a lot of people don't realize that. Do you find that there's any kind of a, a flavor shift that happens or a texture shift that happens with the juicing? Like, do you have to treat the frozen product when you juice it different? No, not not particularly. Obviously, you have to let it thaw. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, no. I mean, nature nature does most of the work for us. I mean, I think that's a good thing for people who are listening who like to make juice or make smoothies You know, to remember. I mean, if you have too much of something, just stick it in your freezer, and then you can use it You know, year-round. I always, I always try to do that um, as much as possible. Of course, I find that sometimes then I forget. So, like, you know, I, I like, well, you know, I'll have, like, you know, a lot of kale or a lot mm. of spinach or something when it's, you know, fresh, and I'll freeze it and or, you know, bear and I'll sort of like find them the next year when that thing is in season again. And I'll be like, oh, right. I was supposed to use these blueberries in February, but now it's July and I have fresh ones. So I'll just wait. So yeah. sometimes I feel like you have to remember to use those yeah, things. Yeah, definitely. But. It's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a time capsule if yeah. you're not careful. Yeah. At home, certainly. I'm sure a little bit, a little bit more than, uh, than with business. Um, how many, uh, how many stores are you guys in at this point? So we're in about 50 locations spread between DC and New York city. Cool. And then do you have an expansion, uh, you know, I know, you know, Baldor obviously serves a large, you talked about Boston, a large swath of the, of the Northeast. Um, is that, are they your main distribution partner at the moment? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who's listening, uh, I guess anywhere between Boston and DC, you should buy from Baldor um, and you should support, you should support Misfit and put it on your shelves, right? <laughs> Please do. We would love that. <laughs> uh, do you guys just do these retail 12 ounce or do you do commercial sizes as well? People want to serve in a restaurant. Yeah, we have a large format of our juice in kegs, um, which we sell at a vegetable taco shop called Chaya in D.C. It's a great spot. If you're ever in D.C., you should definitely hit them up. Um, and we, so we're experimenting with different large formats, but right now it's available in kegs. And then what about um, cooking with your juices? Do you guys do any, you have any like recipe development, anything people like, you know, should people be like braising short ribs in the pear cucumber or... You know, we haven't done much on the cooking side, though, plenty with cocktails. Um, no, but but on that note, there's actually this other company working on food waste as well called White Mustache. And it's really interesting because their product they offer as kind of like a turkey brine. 
Um, so that's something cool, and, and frankly, we haven't explored much of it, but we definitely should. Yeah, I mean, Homa, who owns uh, White Mustache, you know, we're, we're, we, are, we work closely with her. Mm-hmm. We sell her product. Um, we haven't at retail had good luck with selling the way. I love mm-hmm. it. I think it's a great product. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd definitely be interesting, you know, uh, I noticed you guys were, I think, like right next to each other, very close to each other at the Good Food Mercantile, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it'd be interesting. Do you think you might end up using something like, you know, whey in any of your uh, beverages? We haven't thought about it, but uh, Homa is amazing, and White Mustache is an amazing product, and we just love what she's doing. Um, and then, so I mean, what about cocktails? Uh, what you know, like for you know, for this hot, muggy weather we're having, like, what would be your favorite cocktail with one of your juices? So our standard cocktail that was um, a cocktail recipe that was given given to us by Tori Pratt, which also she owns a small like sort of cocktail syrup business in DC, which is also amazing. Is we do um, juice like of any flavor, uh, gin usually or mezcal. And then some apple cider vinegar and some simple syrup and some club soda and a squeeze of lemon. That's really good. I'm all for the I'm all for the vinegar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. part of that. Yeah. Uh, it sounds. I mean, the whole thing. I like gin and mezcal also. Yeah, uh, but it sounds great. Do you guys incorporate uh, any vinegar into any of your drinks? No, not as of yet. Although this is quickly turning into a product development <laughs> brainstorm, <laughs> which we love. <laughs> All good ideas. No, all good ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, as, you know, as someone who, uh, you know, I, I'm a vinegar maker. Um, I'm in the process of writing a vinegar book. Um, so every time I see something like this, I think, oh, man, maybe I could take the beet juice and ferment it and then make it into vinegar. Or, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe there are other extensions of the product line. Um, you know, talking about, about food waste and, and the expansion of Misfit sort of as an idea, um, you know, fruit peels make a great basis for vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a cantaloupe vinegar uh, going right now that it, you know will be shot as part of part of the photo shoot for my book that was really just all the peels from Very the cantaloupe. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I mean, a little bit of flesh on there, but like we, sure. were, we were cutting up cantaloupe cubes to sell, and then there was a whole giant bowl full of cantaloupe rind, and I thought, well, I'm just going to mix that with a little bit of sugar, mm. let the natural yeast ferment that, and see where it goes. So I think there's a lot of opportunity um, to continue to keep things sort of out of the waste stream. Amazing. In that way. Um, well, do you guys, um, I was curious to know, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, how many million or billion pounds of food go wasted uh, every year. And I, I always, as a kid, was fascinated by um, the McDonald's signs that always said millions and then billions served. <laughs> so do you guys have any kind of a counter you know, going like on, you know, um, you know, I think it'd be interesting to know like how many bottles of juice you've produced from food waste or things like that. Are you guys, are you guys keeping track of that stuff? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, on kind of the more businessy side of things, it's definitely something that like we want to prove as a model where not only are we providing commercial success, but also a lot of social impact from, from not only the pounds recovered, but all of the CO2 kept out of the atmosphere and sort of the embedded water that goes into that fruit and veg. Um, so we're working on kind of communicating that not only to our customers, but also to investors and kind of normalizing this whole idea of, yeah, creating impact through food. Awesome. Uh, so what do your families think about this? I mean, having, you know, like you guys went to college to do something totally different. I do something totally different than what I went to college for. Um, when we started the Brooklyn kitchen, my, you know, my family was a little bit, uh, dubious of going into business. Um, what do they think about this as a career? I think my parents are very supportive, but generally puzzled. <laughs> <laughs> um, and are just 
like want want to see how it plays out. But I'm very lucky to have parents who are very supportive in the things that I pursue. Yeah, I'd say the same for my parents, and then I have a sister who actually lives in the city. So we come up here pretty much every week. We've crashed on her couch a ridiculous amount of times. <laughs> um, so I think that's a testament to her love and support for us, despite the fact that we've gotten her locked out of her apartment a few times. <laughs> do you stock her fridge with juice when you come? Is that part of the trade? <laughs> yeah, we do, although the thing is that we, we usually empty it out going to meetings afterwards. So, um, no, she's been she's been an awesome sport. Um and do you guys have any, uh, you know, any collaborations coming up, um, you know, with with different brands, with different events? Yeah, some ones that we are in, in the process of negotiating right now, so can't really announce them publicly. Okay. But um, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, and then, so I mean, in New York City, where you know, I, I think some of my listeners are, um, aside from us having it soon at the Brooklyn Kitchen, where else can people find your juice? <laughs> so we launch in New York City at Italy. So we're uh, um, in the one. We're in both locations, uh, the original one and the one in the financial district. Uh, we're at Blue Hill at Stone Barns, which is in Pocantino Hills, New York. And then, Phil, you want to continue the yeah, list? Yeah, and then uh, a few other places. So Brooklyn Fair, both in, in Brooklyn and also in Manhattan. And then we're hopefully launching soon in, I guess, Brooklyn Kitchen. Yep. And also uh, Foragers in Dumbo. Great. Um, that's awesome. And so you guys said you started out juicing yourselves, right? So who does the juicing now? Like right now, while we're in the studio, I assume juice is being produced by somebody, right? Yeah, so we've got four great employees, and we've actually hired them in partnership with two nonprofits in DC. Nice. And those nonprofits do job placement for um, people who face structural barriers to employment. So they're DC Central Kitchen and Jubilee Jobs, both great organizations. And yeah, we, we really love uh, our employees. And do you guys have your own space that you produce in, or are you part of like a shared food space in DC? We're part of a shared food space called Mess Hall. Um, it's really been, I mean, a huge place of growth, like literally in terms of the business, but also for us personally. We started off on kind of like a night's membership. So we'd go in, you know, starting at 9 p.m. We had wow. the whole kitchen to ourselves, which was great because we made a huge mess. Um, <laughs> but you but were working overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, was, uh, wow. That was a, that was a doozy. Um, and then our director of operations, Molly Morrison, certainly deserves a shout out. She is our first full-time employee and she is amazing. That's awesome. Um, well, we are just about out of time, um, but people can find you guys online, misfitjuicery.co, right? Um, Instagram, misfitjuicery. Uh, like I said, uh, I, I think I mentioned before we were starting, if you look these guys up, you will you know, come across the Misfits, the <laughs> band, which I also, I mean, I, you know, I definitely recommend. Uh, <laughs> do you guys like listen to the Misfits constantly while you're making it's, the juice? It's, is it's it, obligatory. Is yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I mean, you could get Glenn Danzig to like promote the product. Oh, right? that would be funny. If you're listening, Glenn. Us Email up. us, squad <laughs> at misfitjuicery.co. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I mean, is there, any, is there anything else you guys, any parting, parting words you want to tell people? Um, any tips for juicing at home? If people are going to be sort of playing with their own flavors or trying to experiment with, say, going to the supermarket where they're selling ugly, ugly fruit and veg um, and, and buying it for juice, any tips for how to pick the best vegetables for juicing? Uh, I feel like they're just experiment. There are no rules. Um, like the tougher vegetables, like beets are harder to juice, like in a household juicer. Greens are also tougher, but have fun. Like all of our products and formulations were just kind of came out of a place of just trying different ratios and just experimenting <laughs> constantly. Yeah. I'd say on a non juice note, um, make sure you plan your meals and, uh, don't pay too much attention to expiration dates. They're usually pretty arbitrary. So there's kind of like, 
food waste pro tips. Yeah. And most of food waste occurs at the consumer level. So we're dealing with pre-retail race waste, but a majority of the food waste issue is actually in households. So if um, consumers listening who buy our products change little habits in their life, we can do a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's, a, I think that's a, that's a, an interesting point to bring up at the end, but I think you're, you're totally right. And it's important to notice. I definitely, you know, have been to people's houses where they're like, Oh, this is expired. And they throw it away without opening it, tasting it, smelling it or anything. Mm. And, by and large, it's probably just fine. Exactly. I mean, if there isn't really gross-looking mold growing on it or it doesn't <laughs> smell horrible, it, you're probably okay. Exactly, yeah. Great. Well, um, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, I encourage everybody to check out Misfit Juicery, uh, hopefully coming to more and more stores near, near you, at least in the Northeast, uh, possibly expansion after that. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears. A uh, big thank you to Kristen Baylor, who's my producer here, and David Tattashore, who engineers this show every week. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.